We acknowledge the traditional owners of this land, the Turrbal and Yagara people, and their elders past, present and emerging. Sovereignty was never ceded and flood media is recorded on stolen land. Um, okay, yeah, so welcome to another Floodcast. We um, have been planning to do this show for a while, uh, but I think recent events have kind of thrown it into sharper relief, so we decided to forge on ahead with it. Um, it's a show about the politics of posting, uh, and basically what we can, you know, our, our specific takes on posting and what we think uh, you might be able to kind of learn from it or think through it a little bit um, and its implications for, I guess, real quote-unquote real-world politics um, and also the kind of discourse. Uh, so joining me, Joe, on the show is, I uh, can't remember how many times each of you have been on before, let's say two? Three? I'm going to say one or two. Okay. I've been on twice. Ah, there you go. So th- three-time retaining champion Matt Holton. <laughs> Hello. Hello. And uh, 1.5-time champion, <laughs> Deckers. Hi. G'day, how you going? <laughs> Good. Um, so, I think, yeah, we were going to start off um, firstly by, well, we, we definitely want to talk a little more about what's happening um, with the Black Lives Matter movement, um, particularly in the US, but also um, in Australia. Uh, there was yeah, a huge rally this weekend, this past weekend, um, all around the country, and in um, Brisbane, uh, there were estimated 30,000 people. So, um, yeah, started off by saying, well, like, great work to the organisers of that. Um, and we were kind of talking a little bit off mic, which is very unhelpful, but about <laughs> how um, there's a, there's an interesting intersection there because Black Lives Matter, um, I believe, initially started as a kind of a hashtag or at least has had a history as an online kind of movement. I think there was definitely people who were, like, working around and organising around these sorts of, like, like the sorts of politics of Black Lives Matter, but at some point someone like coined it as a hashtag and it's definitely gone a long way mm. since then. Mm. So the kind of like intersection and interweaving of online and, and real world politics is quite um, sharp in, in this example. Uh, but I guess we also kind of wanted to talk about the broader discourse, uh, for lack of a better term, um, online discourse around the protests and, and riots happening um, in the US. So, would anyone like to start off with any particular hot takes? Um, I think it's insanely good. <laughs> oh, I mean, yeah, the, the protests and riots are <laughs> good. <laughs> Absolutely, um, yeah. I'm in favour of it. Um, I've definitely loved hearing it referred to as an uprising, because I think that's absolutely what it is. Um, I think just, like, the, the sheer achievement, which is occupying, a, like, a, at least one police station burned down and another mm. one that the police were forced to leave and they've now set up, like, an autonomous zone is... Like, in, in the heart of the most powerful military, like, empire and apparatus that's ever existed in history is, is like, a crowning achievement. Um, and, like, it's really interesting seeing the, the politics of this abolitionist movement kind of all of a sudden, like, burst from, from, like, underneath the surface everywhere into this really incredibly mainstream and accepted demand of, of you know, Black Lives Matter and, like, defund the police. So I think that's been... It's just been incredibly exciting to watch. What I found interesting, I feel like there were about, like... I don't know, like a few days there where people were seriously thinking, like, are they going to send out the military and are they going to start actually shooting people? Like, and there were calls to do that from the American right. And there were people like, so like 
uh, Tom Cotton, like a right-wing Republican senator, like published an article in the New York Times saying let's send in the military. Like not quite saying let's shoot people. But I think it's been a real moment. Like we've discovered now that they're not actually going to do that. I think so. I think there are people on the American right who are looking at this going like for our far right kind of project to succeed. This is kind of our Reichstag fire moment. This is where we need to be able to mobilize Americans against this kind of external uh, like leftist threat and kind of deploy these law and order politics. And ultimately, um, there's like people have been comparing this to 1968 a lot to the riots in 1968. And that was a similar thing. I think these kind of mass uprisings in American cities shut down by police brutality. But in 1968, the general sympathy of the American public was overwhelmingly with the police. And now it's not. Um, and we discovered that like, general support for Black Lives Matter at a movement as a movement has shot up, has like massively increased and like a clear majority of Americans support the protests and support the riots and say that the anger behind it is fully justified. And so I think it's been this really kind of clarifying moment. For years, I think we've been worried that Donald Trump, the election of Donald Trump was going to lead to like a fascist overthrow of American democracy. And for me, this has been a really clarifying moment of confrontation where we say like, are they going to roll? Like, if that was going to happen, this is where you do it. And I think we find out that they just don't have the support base that they need to take that next step into an actual like military overthrow. But interestingly, I think the other side of that, um, that what you're talking about with, you know, trying to um, mobilise public sentiment against the riders, you know, obviously they totally haven't been able to do that at all. Um, but I think the other side of that coin is that there's been, particularly in the last couple of days, a sort of creeping liberal co-optation, um, which, you know, I think is happening largely through posting, um, as most liberal politics does these days. So there was the video that I, you know, I admit that I didn't watch, but I, I saw the headline um, today about, uh, what was it, like white celebrities... Um, acknowledge their complicity um in like they call i think it was say something like they call out their own privilege yeah thanks guys <laughs> extremely helpful like i just really couldn't think of anything that you could be doing with your time that would better serve the cause uh but there's been um i guess that's one particularly um kind of obnoxious example but there's been a lot of or i've noticed like a kind of uh, gradual kind of flattening out of um of the of the uprisings and saying kind of an almost an equation of the Black Lives Matter movement with more with a lot less radical demands like you know supporting black businesses or um, buying um, things from black um, artisans on Etsy or something like that. Yeah, like I read Joe Biden put out a statement as he does, and um, the yeah just like the Democratic Party's absolute favorite policy proposal, which is tax break tax breaks for black entrepreneurs, <laughs> and that's just like. Which is interesting to me. That's like the only thing that the Democratic Party ever does is offer like specific guided like tax support. And so like they love black entrepreneurs, basically. Um, and yeah, that's exactly what you were saying. I think um, as well, like talking about Black Lives Matter as kind of a hashtag. It's certainly, um, at least in the last few weeks, 
I feel like I've noticed it becoming way more mainstream than it had before. So you have like companies like Amazon putting out statements saying Black Lives Matter, which is just like laughable on so many levels. So like, but on another level, it's good, right? Like it, it, it's hard to argue that mainstreaming is bad oh, well, like, in and of itself. It's showing that like the, the success of this, this like this project, which probably started, you know, a, a fair few years before the hashtag Black Lives Matter is that it's now become hegemonic. I saw... I saw something online which was like, you know, like, you know, a few years of polls of of whether people had agreed, like agreed with this, this line, Black Lives Matter. And it was, you know, 20 percent, 20 percent, 30 percent, 40 percent. And now all of a sudden this year it's like 80 percent. So it's there's obviously something like this hegemonic shift has happened because of this, this years and years of hard work and, and now it catalyzing in such a such an incredible way. But also, like, yeah, call me back when they're all posting ACAB. Like, yeah. call me back when the, the brands are posting ACAB. Um, friend of the show, Eva Thanath, that we were doing this show, and she has been sending me um, – she's on Instagram, and I, I am not on Instagram. I've never been on Instagram and never will be, uh, which <laughs> I think I classify as self-care. <laughs> but, That's um, a very Instagram mentality. I know. <laughs> uh, but she – so she messaged me saying um, – I have so many screenshots of posts that have been pissing me off this week uh, if you need more material. And then she sent me one um, that was particularly bad that um, uh, describing an Instagram post on a podcast is going to be hard. But it's basically like a a green um, background square with a whole lot of like um, slogans with different colors. And it says things like do research, save and share links to resources, (laughs) diversify accounts you follow, keep a journal, learn about policies and politics in your community, address your own biases, follow black women activists, buy diverse children's books, um, uh, read books about race activism, history, blah, blah, blah. Um, And it even makes the point... um, the, these are all just vague self-affirmations or marketized human transactions in place of actual solidarity. And I was like, yeah, like the one thing that's not on there is go out there and set a cop car on fire, but it'll be a hundred times more useful. Yeah, it's all translated into just like, oh, educate yourself, like have a, a revolution of consciousness and mm. do like a subject, like a transformation of your own inner self. And mm. that's how um, we're going to solve the problem. There was that other one you showed me, which was just like an Instagram meme, oh, which yeah. is just like, not posting is inherently racist yeah it was um let me find the actual exact wording (laughs) Eva sent this one to me as well and it says um why the refusal to post online is often inherently racist and i have to uh, again admit that i don't know why that is i I I really want to find out but um it just yeah like that kind of thing baffles me because it is so focused on um like a the idea that that uh online matters at all which I think is something we should talk further about but be the idea that like you yourself posting or following accounts or retweeting or whatever is actually a political act um, rather than just something you're doing in and of yourself which to be honest probably largely is to make yourself feel good Um, and even if it were to like genuinely change your mind or expand your consciousness in some way it is happening like at such a small level. Like you're not changing anyone's mind <laughs> except your own, um, which is, you know, that's one thing, but that is not, that doesn't count as political action on the scale that needs to happen. Yeah. Like, um, cause I, like I've been thinking a bit about like the sixties and kind of how what's happening now compares to the new left in the sixties, which got like defeated um, almost totally by the new right. But yeah, there's a, there's a book from 1970 called The Greening of America, which like lays out this kind of hippie plan for how we're going to transform the world. And it's explicitly 
a rejection of the old left and it explicitly says it's going to be a purely internal revolution. It's going to be a revolution of consciousness and we're going to start by changing ourselves, mostly by smoking a lot of weed, and then we're <laughs> going to go out and like, that's going to change the world like automatically. Mm. And I think that I'm still seeing some of that. That's you know something I'm very much against and I think that's kind of what we see here is this attempt to try and make it like, no, this is like... This kind of struggle between, on the other hand, I think a very clear material um, ask, which is defund the police, take away their money so they can't do police stuff and give it to somebody else on the one hand. And then also a kind of internal, like, let's change our souls in some way. Yeah, I was thinking about about what what was different in 68 compared to, to now. And it makes sense that defund the police is such a, such a has catalyzed like has been catalyzed as such an important ask whereas you know in the 60s there is this strong social democratic state whereas now the only like the only public service which is adequately funded is the police so it makes much more sense in this like you know a decade or a couple of decades of brutal austerity where there's one public service where they've got like humvees and like drones and helicopters and stuff like that meanwhile you can't like you know the lines to vote the lines at the dmv or whatever are massive it makes sense that that this that that is catalyzing so much in this kind of context Mm. i think as well like another thing that kind of occurred to me as you're talking is um the idea that like uh because yeah like a, a lot of this like posting online as i kind of said before takes place in an extremely individual level as you said it matters like a a revolution of your own consciousness but I think what also doesn't get talked about much is the extent to which like actually you know getting offline going out and doing things with actual real people is a much more effective way of achieving that like yeah absolutely like I think you know there's a a lot of it occurs to me often that there's a, a real um emphasis on um trauma and uh you know for lack of a better word, emotional, like, frailty and difficulty and pain. Um, affect. Affect, like, yeah. yeah. Uh, but particularly, like, negative affect. Yeah, like, yeah. basically creating these subjects that are very um, traumatised all the time. Which, you know, like, there is a absolutely a degree of truth to that. Like, it's fucking hard to live under, like, capitalism. But, like, there isn't – there's not a lot said about how, you, you know, you can actually um, counter that. Like, how, you know, you can – I don't know. This is, gonna, this is sounding real, like – um, inspirational Instagram posty, but how you can, you know, actually be strong and brave and, you know, how, and how being in solidarity with others makes you braver and makes you stronger. Yeah. I and mean, it's, I think it's more useful than reading a book, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. I saw this amazing Instagram post, like, ages and ages ago, which is was made by just some bot that, like, is taking the piss out of Instagram posts. And it was, like... It was bees, and it said something like, "We can't become better humans by learning. We can only become better humans by rioting, or something like that." Which is just like this perfect kind of like summing <laughs> yeah. up. <laughs> yeah, I think the other thing that social media is doing is, is outside of its individual, like what it's doing as as a social and what it's doing as a part of a collective, is it's a way of like I guess signifying, mm-hmm. um, which is where like heaps of this really embarrassing stuff's coming from. And there's been some really embarrassing stuff happening in the world as well. Like I saw one where it was like, like white, like white people washing the feet Mm. of, 
of some of the African-American people at the protest as like some sort of like penance or something like that. That's kind of stuff I just find so unhelpful. Oh, it's, it's incredibly weird, right? Like, why, white Americans have some of the weirdest attitudes towards black people, like white liberal Americans, okay, all, all white Americans, but... It's um, like I get the impulse. Uh, I think, you know, what they were trying to do is probably well-meaning, but it is fucking weird. And if you like just a person who's like not really ever heard of any of this st- stuff, like is not particularly online, um, has never like been involved in the left at all, you see that and you're just like, what the fuck? Well, like the wildest <laughs> thing about this is that it's ha- it was happening like at a protest. Yeah. Like it was happening outside. There were like, there were lots of people there. Um, but I think one of the things that, that online is doing is it's, it's about like signaling to people, like by liking or retweeting things. You're not so much like, like gaining gaining the knowledge in and of yourself and like changing your consciousness internally even though that is one of the things it's really about signaling mm. to a group and like and being shown to be like the right sort of person 100%. and that's that's really interesting because in one way that that does a really good thing of like signaling what sorts of things should be hegemonic is possible and that's to some extent what black lives matter has has achieved and that's really amazing um but on the other side it's it's where all this co-option's coming from. And there's been all these things coming out of people like like non-activists rocking up for clout, basically. Um, I don't know if either of you saw anything about the like the new Black Panther Party. Mm. I think I was just telling yeah. you, Joe, about this before, but you should take us through it anyway. The, yeah. They were amazing. Like and when I first saw the images as well, like absolutely, like put put a little fave on that. That like there were some like incredible images. Do you want to explain like what they were? Um, people don't know. Yeah, so so it was it was these, like, all, all, like, really beautiful um, black American people dressed up very much in, like, the sort of aesthetic of the old Black Panther Party. They Matt, had... Matt described them as improbably hot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they were improbably well, hot. Well, I saw them at the time and it was like, oh, here's some Black Panthers. Like, oh, oh, okay, I did not know the Black Panthers were that attractive. <laughs> but, like, also, in fairness to the first Black Panthers, they were also just, like, That's oh, yeah, smoking. Yeah, like, just raw sex. Yeah, anyway. Like, absolutely. Um... But they were all, like, super made up and stuff like that. Like, amazing black jackets, like, black machine guns and all that sort of thing. But then it came out, like, a couple of days well, later. Well, you saw, you saw, like... Like, first I saw the images of them at a protest in Atlanta. And I was like, yeah, sick. That's good. And then I saw an image of, like, this main one, like, was just, like, like embracing a cop. And, like, the most, like, cop-looking, like, fat, white, pig-headed, just a like, thumb. southern thumb... Yeah, like, thumb-headed policeman in the world. Yeah, he looked more like a cop than any other cop. It's like, <laughs> oh, that's not what Black Panthers do. And then um, then what happened? Um, so it came out over the next couple of days that they're, like... They're all part of, like, one agency, I'm going to say. And it was, like... It was very much, like, a, a really specific intervention for clout. Like, it, that was the intention behind it. Because they're, like, models. Yeah, they were all actors and models. Actors and models. Yeah. Who were just... Very uh, successfully trying to get their faces and names out there, mm. um, and that's there's been other things like that as well. Like I like I saw a lot of, um, and and this is like again a really interesting thing where it's social media being used well because heaps of like heaps of these protests were using like Twitter and Twitter hashtags to communicate in the protest to mm. each other, mm-hmm. and there was heaps of people being like, "Hey, see this person? Um, they've just turned up out of nowhere. They're trying to act as a spokesman for us." They've never posted anything political in their fucking life, but he's but this guy's trying to claim to be a spokesman for this movement, and he's like talking to the cops on our behalf and stuff like that. Like, like if you see this person, can you like like try and pull their head in and like 
speak loudly to everyone around them that they're not a leader, that they're not part of this project. Um, so that, like, it's been coming out of the woodwork everywhere with various people, like, trying to, to slip in for, for clout, um, as well as, like, using the, the communicative tools to to let people know that this is, in fact, not cool. One of the... I was going to say one of the other things was that there were people monitoring the police scanners and then just, like, live-tweeting whatever the police were talking about, <laughs> which it. was really enjoyable. Yeah, so I think, like, there might be a distinction to be drawn then between... Because um, I, I don't want to come across sounding like I think uh, the whole medium of online um, doesn't matter, because I think it absolutely does. And, in fact, like, none of these protests would even probably have happened without online because... Um, the person who took the video of George Floyd's murder, like, was, you know, posted online. It went viral. Like, that's the whole point. And that's, like, citizen journalism, that kind of citizen journalism is um, incredibly powerful. And then, like, using, as you were saying, um, Decker's, like, those hashtags, and uh, I really hate the word spaces, but I guess I'll use it, spaces, to kind of communicate strategically and, and um, usefully is helpful. Um, but I don't know. I guess... There's, I see a huge difference between that and and the way a lot of people, I would say especially kind of white liberals, use social media or use posting, which is essentially a, a virtue signal um, and a way to almost avoid having to do anything else. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I think there's like something else that happens, even like even from non-liberals, like there's a huge amount of like like Marxists on Twitter who were just like oh, yeah. just like so deeply in the woods. Um, if you're listening to this and you think it's you, it's definitely you. (laughs) (laughs) This is us. Eva said, um, it might be time for the podcast to call out a listener rather than the other way around. (laughs) Yeah, it's time. (laughs) Um, we're calling out all our listeners. Um, (laughs) why are you listening to this? (laughs) Get offline. There is like so much of this, just like, like, like I've seen all these people like posting their takes about like, like just imagine just like sitting around posting about like how you think you should manage the military uprising, (laughs) like in firstly another, in another continent. But, like, secondly, like, in this particular moment where they could drone strike the fuck out of all of us, like, straight away if that's what, like, what was going to happen. And, like, that's a really wild moment. And, like, these people who are interacting with each other in these, like, deeply intense and, like, and in some ways, like, theoretically quite sophisticated, in other ways theoretically very base ways is, is this other kind of thing. Like, it's definitely not a liberal... Phenomena, like, and the way, and social media being bullshit isn't a liberal ph- phenomena. It definitely affects, um, you know, the non-liberal left as well. Yeah, yeah, would be like, I think it can be kind of a trap to just flag all of this stuff as like, ah, oh, that's liberalism. That's the thing that we don't like. Which is liberalism? Um, then you kind of end up using just like accusing people of being liberals as a crutch. So, do you want to talk more about like why posting has actually emerged as such a kind of almost art form in our generation. <laughs> um, Matt, I know you had some notes here just about like how kind of unemployed and overeducated a lot of people our age are and with unfettered access to the internet. Um, yeah. Just, yeah. The other thing I was just thinking about is kind of coming back to that. And the other thing that I think has been a really interesting aspect of all of this and of the whole online space is that Everyone online, all of the biggest names are all in Brooklyn, New York. (laughs) And there's a way in which, like, I I think as well, the way that it's like everything, we all specifically end up responding to America and Americans um, and, like, specifically people located in the, like, major cities. 
Um, and like specifically, yeah, like in the kind of left hubs of like New York and like London has a really weird effect as well. Mm. Um, yeah, it's kind of, um, I mean, one thing I've noticed is like the uh, apparent kind of compulsion of a lot of Australians leftists or people who are interested in politics like feel they they must have an opinion on like the smallest things happening in like British and American politics but not yeah like and that's like a real the language barrier there is real weird as well like you you end up like just knowing the names of all these like local councilmen in like (laughs) Seattle or like Virginia or whatever because they just show up on your Twitter feed all the time yeah um and you know they're like interesting to the left for whatever reason and then there's like you know it's all like i've kind of just wound up knowing all these like small details about like individual small towns in england or whatever and then there's just the entire nation of germany yeah (laughs) which has its own stuff going on and like oh i don't know could name you like one German politician. Yeah, you only learn about it from Jacobin articles. Yeah, it's giving so us, I think, a very strange and like not accurate impression of what's going on. But also, I don't speak any language other than English. So, mm. um, yeah. Um, but yeah, in terms of like the relationship between posting and like employment and why it's emerged as a new kind of thing that everyone does all the time i think we're we're all unemployed on this podcast at the moment (laughs) true that's why we're doing it on a weekday afternoon um is it actually that kind of begs the question why we can't produce podcasts on a more regular schedule (laughs) (laughs) maybe i'll have to cut that bit out (laughs) but like i think like there is something about like like posting and podcasting, which obviously have a very close relationship, which Podca- is like post- podcasting is just a higher form of posting. It's elevated posting, like well, it with I would more say, letters. I would say it's actually a, a more base form of posting because you, we don't get to um, refine it. Refine it. That's yeah, this is kind of off the cuff posting. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, sorry. Let's talk about that for another like hour. <laughs> um, we're like, like both these things are very much the realm of the failed son. Like, yeah. Um, <laughs> Like, like, definitely, like, I would consider myself very much, like, part of this, like, this, like, broadly educated middle class, like, both my parents went to university, even if I grew up on welfare, but, like, I was conditioned into welfare early, so I was just, like, have been on welfare and, like, dropping out of uni the whole time, and just, like, therefore, like, lent really, really deeply into posting as, like, just where to look at the world and where to watch the world happening, and I think there's also something about living on the periphery of like Brisbane is like a peripheral to like the the cultural center of Australia Australia is like peripheral to like the the cultural and economic centers of the world as well where you feel like you're watching so much of the world happen from these places and online is the place for these unemployed like failed children to what like watch the world happen um, and I think why we get like why we do engage with it in this really intense way is and why people do start feeling like maybe retweeting this here or like whatever it is has some sort of political effect is because we feel like where we where we are physically situated we couldn't possibly physically affect the world and so therefore we have to affect the discourse instead Mm. that's a really good point about because yeah brisbane really is like the periphery of the periphery um like there's a reason that you'll never see like a work of fiction set in brisbane by written by anyone who's not for like you'll never like, even more so than a lot of other very peripheral places, like, you'll never see Brisbane mentioned in anything because it's just 
Yeah, um, despite being the greatest city and the greatest yeah. <laughs> uh, country in the world, obviously. But um. Yeah, I think, I mean, that's true. Like, there's a sort of element of, I mean, in theory, um, online spaces are quite democratic um, in that sense and that it doesn't, it, like, it, it shouldn't matter geographically where you are um, as long as your posts are good. But the, <laughs> but the interesting thing, as Matt pointed out before, is that it, it obviously does. Like these kind of geographic centres of kind of, I guess, cultural or political um, clout reproduce themselves online, even though there's no real, like, theoretical reason why they should. Yeah, like, yeah, because they all kind of know each other. Like, all these people who live in Brooklyn or, like, in a city, London, or wherever they live, kind of, yeah, it's like, I don't know, in the same circles, kind of retweeting each other and things. And that's where, like, kind of Jacobins, I think, run out of. And um, and that has been an issue for the broader left. Certainly a huge issue for the electoral left is that it's wound up, like, not being able to reach out to voters outside these places. Um, I think in large part because, like, a lot of the energy... Like with Corbynism, it's like, oh, the energy's coming from London. Oh, wait, we're losing all these votes in like the North. Yeah. Because we don't have people who can like, and like they, you know, they were sending all these volunteers out from they London. They needed to get a posting army up North. Yeah. To yeah. make the posts better up North. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, and like to some extent, this is, is because online as a space is representing a certain kind of political constituency of these like, like broadly urban people who, um, who like failed to like get the jobs that we were like kind of intended for for, um because of the financial crash that happened like more Mm. or less as most of us like finished our education um and these kind of like professional jobs just ceased to exist as well as you know kind of being told that we could be whatever we want yeah yeah. Um, (laughs) all us precocious it's really been this perfect storm of like a huge surge in education and like everyone getting like High going going into higher education for really like the first time, um, and then a financial collapse that means there's like a massive undersupply of like the jobs that you kind of thought you'd be going into. Um, and I think you wrote in the notes, Matt, um, that perhaps our generation has no real social power but infinite ability to be heard. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> that's possibly another aspect of it. Yeah, like combined with this technology that in theory like while it because we always kind of say that like oh being online isn't real um in some sense and it kind of but it obviously is like there obviously is a relationship between like online and like the real world but there is this weird sense of like you have this technology that lets you in theory like be heard by everyone in the world if you're in the right place at the right time or if you like go viral for whatever mysterious reason um but it's not going to translate into anything in your actual life. Like, you're not going to get any money out of it. And I think, like, talking more specifically about um, posting political stuff or trying to affect politics by posting, I don't really know whether that has ever happened. (laughs) Like, I think one of the um, things that I think about a lot is that uh, it's, it's very... It's so something about the space of online makes it almost impossible to remember that it's really not real. Like, or that, you know, what happens there basically means nothing. Like, 
and I, I know I harp on about this a lot, but um, going out door knocking is probably the thing that like really brought me that like it was kind of a rude shock, but it's also extremely comforting. Um, and often when I'm like, you know, getting cancelled online for the umpteenth time or witnessing some kind of like drama that, you know, people are spending 15 hours like fighting with each other on some like tiny um, Twitter war. It's just like it emotionally it's so affecting but it's very comforting for me just to realize oh none of this matters at Mm. all (laughs) it's yeah like absolutely like you know i learned more like going door knocking two or three times than from a a lifetime spent posting well and i think what's really interesting about this is that it's because online functions as as its own constituency where like all these people you know who were meant to be part of the professional middle class largely from like major urban centres, but also from places like like Brisbane on the periphery, get to operate in one kind of discursive space. Mm. Whereas when you go door knocking, you realise that, like, even though online is a much bigger space than, say, like, the suburbs of Brisbane, there's a lot of people who are completely not affected by online and have no idea whatsoever. Like, um, like... You know, imagine trying to like even like saying cancelled to like ninety five percent of people you door knock would just draw the blankest of stares. Well, actually, interestingly, um, a friend of the show, Maddie, who's been on a few times, is um, now a, uh, a high school teacher, and she said that her kids don't know the term cancelled. They Good. didn't. They didn't understand it. So I'm. I have. Po- so I have hope for the, I've got hope for the future. <laughs> I kind of. Yeah. I. I don't know. I don't know any kids. I kind of thought they were perhaps more online, but I'm glad that they're not. I think they are online, but I think the discourse has moved on to become like, I, I don't know what it's like. I'm purely, specul- purely speculating here, but um, from what I can see, it's very absurdist and possibly like we wouldn't, I don't think we would be able to understand. I, yeah. I mean, I love that. I love that there's a new generation now, which is like befuddling us with their cryptic youth culture. It's great. I mean, I just think like, I think the first time I remember like really getting online was maybe um, probably around like 2012 during the height of like woke culture, um, which like I just remember this like pervading sense of like guilt and um, well not guilt mm-hmm. but like uh, you know like you 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 just did not want to slip up and everyone was waiting yeah. for you to slip up um, and that's a, like a really you know i think it it sucks (laughs) which is interesting like how much that affects people me included given that like i said it really doesn't matter (laughs) yeah it feels like it's it's definitely i feel like better than it used to be in turn because it really was it's almost kind of hard to remember now but there was a specific kind of era of online culture where that was the only thing that anyone talked about yeah that was what i was trying to get at is that there wasn't any alternative to that i think people thought because like barack obama was the president they thought that all of the problems had permanently been solved and the only like question remaining was like to how to purge the last remaining traces of like um anti-social opinions but like I remember having a lot of conversations about just, like, whether it's sexist to have, like, a picture of boobs in a comic book. Like, that was, was like, the biggest political discussion was just, like, oh, like, can can comic books be horny or is that problematic? Mm. Yeah, which TV shows, I mean, Mm. to be honest, there's still a lot of stuff about which TV shows are good and bad. But you're right, like, it really, um, yeah, dwindled down to the lowest level of cultural production. (laughs) 
And I think, like, part of that terror as well it comes from, like, when you feel like you don't have any capacity to affect the world except through having good opinions online. When you have a bad opinion online and then get, like, publicly cancelled for it and, no, like, are no longer able to, to have a voice, then it means you've got no capacity to affect the world. And if you're living in, like, this, like, financialist, like, empty, austere hell that so many people do live in, then that's... That's the worst. You're being condemned to to continue to suffer. I think there's also, I mean, it's interesting as well how much the, this stuff focuses on the level of thought, right? Like mm. none of this is about what you do. It's about what you think. And so there's very little room um, there to uh, change your mind to like, I mean, that kind of irony of this is that um, going back to what I was talking about at the kind of um, near the top of the show with like, you know, the um, urging to, to educate yourself and read books, but there's actually very little... Um, space in the kind of the woke online world to grow as a person or to learn anything or to at least display any like you know changing of one's mind or um, development of of one's ideas um and of course there's my particular bugbear you know i'm i'm not here to educate you which is like then what the fuck is like what uh, are we all just atomized neoliberal subjects that have to go and like you know read x y and z and then we become okay like there's no room here for like solidarity and you know talking to each other as humans and learning yeah i mean i think it's it's interesting the way that solidarity functions as this like it's not as like a physical action it's not as as a decision to to engage in solidarity with someone um you know as as another worker or uh, as you know, as as a member of of an oppressed minority, it it has to be, you have to be pure as opposed to make a decision and continue to fuck up and be like, oh, like I know I'm fucking up, but like ask me, ask me to do something and I'll do it when it counts. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And because there is no, there is no like space to do. There's only a yes, space to to, to to appear. Yeah, to think and to and to appear. And in fact, I think the the latter is probably more important. Um, uh, yeah, like I mean, there's a big. It's performative, is what I'm trying to get at, in all senses. Yeah, well, because so much of so much of the way online works is it's it's a space for us to curate our identities, and you know, as much as like more than any other generation as well, but, like we all like did heaps of weird identity shit in school, and I like never thought about identity at all, and like all these like classes talking about identity confused the shit out of me, like because I was like, it just doesn't seem like an interesting discussion like it really doesn't i mean like obviously like white guys so like relatively (laughs) easy there um but but like the sheer amount of like time and energy and work that goes into curating our identities and and that that manifest in the online space is is just astronomical yeah like i was i I was reading something the other day that was talking about the kind of like left weird twitter aesthetic where you just like the particular kind of voices that have developed online and we've developed, we, we used to just very much have the kind of like woke, like I'm not here to educate you sort of voice. And we have this new kind of voice now that's you just do kind of irony shit posts about things, mm-hmm. um, which is also, also in its own way, kind of unproductive. Cause like, um, you kind of just treat everything as if it's very obvious and then you just like, it's just a mode of be kind of resigned to stuff because it's a mode of it's a way of kind of processing the way that you don't feel like you can change stuff and it's you just kind of there's there's a lot of proving that you're not mad (laughs) (laughs) that's the really like such a dominant mode of online now and there's so many kind of like twitter feuds that are just two people 
competing to see who's the who's least, least mad. mad. <laughs> yeah. And just well, actually, I was going to say I think one of the like the 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 moments where um, the kind of like woke liberal um, identitarian not here to educate you persona clashes up against irony persona. Because I think the 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 first the former is um, very mad, and the latter mm. is determined not to be mad. But and but in that, I mean, in both both are just talking past each other. <laughs> yeah, um, which is like uh, I was thinking on the way over, and then and then forgot. But um, the other kind of like really important political movement that are, that like developed from online was Gamergate, and then the alt right, which which was a politics that was largely about making liberals mad online. Mm. Um, and I think that's, like, where you can see this, like, left irony stuff responding to it. But it's mm. a completely online response. It mm. never – like, both of these movements lacked the the organisational capacity and the, I think, also, to some extent, geographical proximity to ever organise anything meaningful in the real world. And so both these things were just, like – all these things are just responding to each other, like this alt-right responding to the kind of dominant liberal, like – being incredibly mad online and then the irony left us being like yeah well i'm not mad at all but you're a dumb shit like also, both of those groups were incredibly mad yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was like, like, so all bad. these groups are insanely angry all the time i mean all you have to do is look at how much time they spend online that's a dead giveaway they're mad <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's fine like i really like i'm thinking back to gamergate now and that was very weird because that was my first encounter with what would eventually become the alt-right and it was just so mind-blowing it was these people who were like had like this really dedicated, like organized, just being like, no, this is like the greatest problem in the world is that like some someone. It's it's funny because it's it's you know what I would now be like is a fairly kind of blame feminist commentary on video games, which is of the just like this is problematic because mm. the, there's a, a boob in it variety. Um, but it was this very weird kind of looking at being like. Yeah, this seems like it's just such a storm in a teacup. Um, yeah, it's yeah. I feel like Max always says like there should be um, something like some um, Twitter news section that just tells you like what fight is happening on Twitter that day. <laughs> I feel like most of them like are even like, obviously like Gamergate was the first one and was probably quite a lot bigger in scale, but. We weren't used to fighting online back then. <laughs> yeah, we weren't used to that level of like, just pu- like madness, basically, yeah. <laughs> of just pure like, totally incompatible like points of view. Mm. Whereas like, about absurdly small things, mm. but also things that possess like kind of things that nobody involved could bring themselves to let go of because no. they were both absolutely convinced that they were right. Yeah. Like, and and of the like the the fundamental importance of it. Like I remember like when the alt right was was going out like this this sense of like how incredibly significant and important it was to be online, to combat these spe- mm, these voices yeah. online. And I, I want to, that actually brings me back kind of full circle um, to another post I, I sent to Matt earlier, which um, talking about like the importance of being online, but coming from a, the opposite direction. This is um, something a Facebook friend of mine posted. This person's in the US um, to keep in mind. And um it says, uh, and I should also say extremely white. I want to offer support with Facebook arguments about racism and white supremacy. I know it is an intense time and many of my black colleagues and friends are exhausted from working tirelessly for years. So are you seeing posts you want to engage with but don't have the energy right now? Do white people on the internet need to be educated and called out? Yes, always. Do you need backup in a discussion? Whether it's a group, a public post, a friend or family member, tag me. I'm here. 
why aren't you at a protest? <laughs> That's me editorialising. Um, as long as I can see the post, tag me and mes- or message me and I will come barreling in with extensive and relevant educational materials. My argument style tends to be, read these 10 articles that each clearly explain why your point is racist slash has racist undertones. Also, here are some more sources for your reading list. Um, I am already doing this within my own Facebook community, so I have many sources at the ready. So if you see a comment or post that is ill-informed, misguided, steeped in white supremacist logics, and you want someone to respond, but you don't have the time, energy, or whatnot at me, or message me, you're welcome to share this post if you want. Like, where do you even start with that? I love the assumption that coming in with, like, telling someone who... um, is being racist online that they're being racist and here's 10 articles why is going to change their mind. Just like this sheer audacity to think that someone is going to read an article that like someone has been like, well, actually, have you considered that maybe you're wrong? Read, like, spend like literally five hours engaging with this argument about why you're a bad person. Well, the idea that any kind of like, I mean, this is a very logic, it's funny because that's just like the Reddit atheist. Like, Mm. that's just like... That's exactly the That's same. That's the Reddit atheist, but for racism. Yeah, like it's and it's exactly the same kind of argument style as like, well, the, I don't know, like the gamer guy guys used, and it's a very like, like the right also uses this style. Of, uh, it's very no, it's a very intellectual dark web kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. That's really what it is, is that because that's really the ultimate posting movement is the intellectual dark web. Do you want to? What is which, the intellectual oh, that's, dark web? Um, that's another one of these like brief kind of internet history things that is I've still never around. actually heard of it. So no, this is um there's a particular kind of movement of people who are like we're classical liberals and we're like anti woke, um, and we want to bring back like the virtues of debate and reason. Um and so and just quietly phrenology. And yeah, and, ra- <laughs> and race science. I yeah. mean that's the most reasonable and logical so science it's of just all. Like, um yeah, like there's a few people who are all kind of famous um, now for posting. And this lady, Barry Weiss, who works for the New oh, York yeah, Times. Oh, yeah, I know Barry Weiss. Who, yeah. who, again, is just a notorious poster. Yeah. Um, and just who came up with this phrase, the intellectual dark web. It was very Jordan Peterson. That's the guy I'm thinking uh. about. Um, it's like, yeah, it's like a Jordan Peterson thing. And it was kind of a more polite version of the old right where what they're doing is they're saying the truths that, like, politically correct lefties don't want you to know okay um and they're being like um and but it's exactly the same thing as this we're like well actually because of reason and logic these 10 articles will prove to you (laughs) that women simply lack the cognitive capacity so but i think like that in itself is quite i mean the reason that we're also angry about that is because we can clearly see that's not going to change anyone's mind but i think that's actually secondary like she doesn't want to change anyone's mind she doesn't give a shit like all she wants to do is be right by some strange standard that you know can never be established and therefore you're going to keep arguing about this for 15 hours and like where i think like that sort of stuff on facebook can be useful is when you do it with people you have a relationship with like, yeah if you like if your if your uncle or your mum or something says something and you're like oh look i disagree for these reasons like that's like the way that sort of stuff works in in a community of people with relationships is very very different to just like doing it with strangers. Mm-hmm. What does work with strangers and um, online Sydney person at Marrowing, Eleanor Robertson, oh, Eleanor Robertson yeah. was talking about it, and uh, like I was super super impressed. It's like what is really good online, and I think this has really been like the only systemic political education I've ever had is just watching this happen again and again online. It's when someone who knows an argument back and forth just humiliates some dumb shit. Like, <laughs> like And other people get to watch. Yeah. So like it's not it's not and I think that's what we like so many people 
don't realise about online is that it's not about, like, making an argument. It's about making a dead shit look like <laughs> like a dumb, cowardly, pathetic little prick because you know what you're talking about and they are stupid and slovenly. Yeah. And, like, when when you see someone get humiliated again and again, like, that, that sends a much more powerful... And that... I think that is where online works as as a hegemonic space and like where this like role of community building and and to some extent even political education has happened through online in this kind of way. Yeah, like I guess cuz you can only really have like a conversation about ideas with someone you know and trust and like like not even like a family member but like someone you actually like already respect their opinion mm. which everyone online is like like, everyone online is a stranger, and you kind of take those, like, you kind of just take cues from people, like, are you on my side, are you not on my side? Like, I'll look at your post and just kind of get a sense of where we are, and, like, that kind of substitutes for an actual relationship. So that's, but just, yeah, like, I mean, I guess with this mode of, like, argument that we're talking about, um, it's kind of mistaking, like, like, failing to understand, like, the amount of work that you would have to do to get to a level where you could have a conversation that's like takes place in good faith. Mm. Um, I think like, yeah, like to be a little more generous to this person, I think what she maybe like the other aspect of her posting this is trying to like express solidarity with her mm. friends and colleagues um, and say, you know, like I, you know, this is something I can do for you. Um, And the intent is good. I'm like, yeah, I, I don't want to be too too horrible to this person. However, I think, like, as I kind of alluded to when I was reading it out, the fact is there's something very much more uh, impactful you can do to show solidarity right now, which is go to a fucking protest. Like, just turn the computer off. Step away. Just, like, there is actually there are things happening out there. You don't have to, like, being online, it's it's not the same. Yeah. Yeah, no, yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I guess I'm just, like, I'm just kind of thinking this through now, but mm. I... I do think you can kind of think through the last kind of few years of online and you can see this kind of different movements and tendencies kind of spring up and then fade away or fade out of public attention. And there is definitely a relationship between that and what's like happening in like politics and in the real world. And in like, you know, I do think it has some effect on like voting behavior and like we could, and it's also like, where we're talking more broadly about kind of media narratives. And they do have this strange property where they're very kind of temporary and like abstract things as like what's the story that's kind of happening in people's heads at the moment, Um, which as soon as one of these things kind of goes away, it immediately like looks ridiculous and you look back at it and say, well, what was that? Why we all think that was important for like five seconds. But then also they do while they're in play seem to have this really kind of huge influence in terms of like what people think and how they behave and what they're going to do. Um, and so like, and I, I guess that's what I'm kind of the thesis I'm trying to develop. It is not correct. Like it's not, it's not correct to say that online does nothing. Like it's not correct to say that it's completely unrelated to like anything else. Like it's obviously, like the just like the sphere of discourse and the conversations that we're having with each other as a society do have like a real world impact but 
it's not the same thing and there's like millions of people who are not online and never hear about it and it is in some ways very transient as well because it seems very easy for people to just like drop one kind of affiliation or one story that they're telling and just move on to something else and so it's very volatile and strange yeah i think that's a good way of putting it actually that the danger comes from when you confuse online with the with the real world which is not to say that online has nothing going for it or is useless um or like by definition um means nothing but like i um read about this in my um in my overland piece about door knocking but before i became involved in in electoral politics, like became involved in door knocking and, and on the ground campaigns, I really didn't have any conception of politics as things that happened outside of think pieces and and Twitter. Mm, absolutely, <laughs> um, and and it was the same thing that we've been talking about. It was all about which opinions you held, um, and the the idea that there was a material world out there that people's lives, um, you know, changed materially as as a result of uh, politics was secondary, if at all, in my in my mind. <laughs> Well, I guess it's just like online is this this really wonderful reflection of the like the education that we've been provided, which teaches us that the world changes based on the opinions and thoughts of the people in it, mm. as opposed to the opinions and thoughts of the people in the world change based on how the world's being run and organized. And that kind of cut before the horse, like pattern of thought, is so deeply ingrained in like across society that that we have to believe that, that that online is worthwhile because opinions have to be the thing that lead history, but it's not the case. Similarly to like a lot of the kind of rhetoric um, around Trump's election is, you know, that, um, the you know, the bad thing about him is that he holds racist opinions or whatever, or um, which is absolutely true. But I would say, you know, the worst thing about the worst thing is the material impacts of those, which get talked about a lot less than I would say his like latest gaffe well, or tweet or whatever. The material impacts are like different, but not noticeably different from from say Obama, right? Exactly. Where like exactly. like the mate- like you know Obama's funding of ICE and this sort of thing, his mm-hmm. bombing of you know the Middle East was was so extensive that the material impacts of 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 American racism were were felt around the world broadly similarly under Obama than under Trump. Totally, yeah. But Trump just posts very differently. Yeah. Well, I mean, he's such a... He is the greatest such poster a good of all time. Poster. He's the <laughs> second best poster after Wynn. That's true. I can't believe we haven't talked about this yet. He has such raw posting energy. Like, I've said this before, maybe. I can't remember on the, if I've said it on the show. But to me, like, Trump has absolutely no intellect. Like, he... Uh, I, I think... People have talked about this before, but I think he's quite incapable of abstract thought. Apparently, he's <laughs> mm. never laughed. Um, he, yeah. Like, everything is entirely literal. He's basically like, you know, a, a toddler. Um, but he he has instinct. Like, the only thing he has is instinct. And he's it's so good online. <laughs> yes. Which is why I was, like, so terrified when he was, like, when he referenced that, like, that, like, quite old, like, I think it was first said in, in like, around the 60s and that civil uprising about, like, when the looting starts, starts mm. the shooting starts. Like, I was, I was, like, I, like that that was the moment when, like, my terror that these, that these uprisings were about to be, like, Turn, like yeah, totally brutalised yeah. was, was at its highest point. And they really did, like, you know, they shot people in the 60s. Yeah, that was some, like, sheriff talking about that in the 60s. And, like, they really did, like, the cops shot protesters in the 60s for doing, like, you know, what they're doing now. And like I think if I think a few people have been shot yeah. um, mm-hmm. by police in these these but it, but it hasn't been this sort of sy- systematic. Lots of people have 
like lost eyes. All the people who have lost eyes because the police shot them in the head with tear gas canisters are going on a camping trip together. Oh, oh that's actually the cutest that thing in the world. Post. Oh my god, that's amazing. Yeah. They did shoot that guy. Um, there's probably been others, and yeah, I'm sorry, I can't really keep up with all the all the news. But um, I remember about a week ago they shot that barbecue guy who wasn't even involved with the yeah, protest yeah, and, yeah. and killed him. Mm. Um, so yeah, it's bad. And what I've definitely been terrified by is is like like Trump saying like when the looting starts the st- shooting starts and then like all the various white supremacist militias so like my concern is that we would see something similar to what was happening in India last year where the, mm. the like the the militias set up by yep. the by the the nationalist government would be given permission by the cops to do the violence that the cops can't do on behalf of the state um and I I still think that that possibility is very live in America um but, but so that it far, hasn't yeah, happened like, yet is still is still it's really like important. really interesting to me that that hasn't happened. I'm really I wouldn't like, have put money on it. Yeah, no, right? No. Because it seemed like such a natural kind of next step. There was that one guy who like tried to shoot an arrow at some protesters, but yeah, like, and and some guy yeah. drove into a protest and, there and shot someone a with a handgun. There was that. the guy from the I think who turned out to be from the Ku Klux Klan, maybe mm-hmm. who drove a truck into people but didn't hit anyone. Like, there's been. There's been so many times where it's got very, very close to this, where it mm. hasn't actually happened yet, and long may that continue. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like Absolutely. I was, I guess I was going to say the other um, demographic of posters that we haven't mentioned yet, but Trump made me think about is boomers. Mm. Yeah, some of the purest posters out there, like m- much more serious case of posters disorder than anyone else. <laughs> yeah, like we think that. Like, if we're talking about the kind of, like, the cryptic and alienating, like, like Zoomer memes of, like, the teens now. Okay, but, like, whatever, boom, like, Facebook boomers are on is on so much. It's on a net, like, a another level. Yeah. I'm, I think it's almost, like, coming full circle now. Where, mm. like, I mean, somebody should, if no one already has, start some kind of, like, Twitter account where you get posts from Zoomers and boomers and, like, see who, whether people can tell the difference. <laughs> That's a great idea. I'm copywriting that. If you're listening, do not do that. Um, Yeah. But, yes, like, they have their own, like, internet culture as well, which is, like, like, because, like, Trump's posts have this very, like, what makes them so kind of fascinating and powerful is this very weird stilted quality. Like, anything, if you listen to Trump say anything... It has just this bizarre, stilted, awkward, like... His cadence is just incredible. It's like nothing I've ever seen. Like, he's not this, like, bombastic, like, firebrand up there. Just, like, he just trailing trailing off in the middle of sentences and his emphasis is... Like, I, I can't do it because it's so unique. Like... He's like charismatic Joe Biden. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's Slightly like, more. Um, Yeah, if you listen, like, he gave that speech, like... It's, yeah, it's just the weirdest speech of all time that he gave in, like, the Rose Garden of the White House or whatever. And Is this the one with the Bible? Or yeah, one? yeah, where he's just, he's just holding up this Bible, like, I like I, Bible. <laughs> I know what I, I, I've got. Me read Bible. Yeah, basically. And there's another one where they're like, is that your Bible? And he's like, it's a Bible. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which is a fantastic response. That's it's funny. It's so good. Um. It's just like, and like all the... It's like the QAnon people and all the people who like post the, you know, memes. Like, 
And he, he's obviously got some kind of alt-right type guys in the White House doing his posts for him. Like Do you think so? I I think I, some of the memes that he puts I out, actually, I think, have to. Oh, memes, but, maybe. I think he his tweets are so pure, him, like purely essence of are, him. They have to be him, right? Uh, his tweets, are, I think, are Trump, but you can't some make of it the, up. like, the more, like, memes. and Like, like the actual more online stuff. Some of stuff. some very good ads yeah. um, with him, like, people's kind of... He's put out a sequence of ads that I think are basically aimed at, like, disaffected Bernie bros. Um, which, <laughs> so smart. Yeah, like, which show a much better understanding of, like, you know, what a good meme is than anything that, like, the Democrats have ever done. Um, and some of that, I think, has to be actually, like, young people in the White House. Um, I know a guy who, like, I think does memes for Clive Palmer. Like, if you remember all those... I don't know if he's still doing them, but, you know, Clive Palmer did this kind of like, look at me, I'm definitely funny and eccentric and mm. not just a fuckhead. Um, yeah, and that was like, a, you know, a guy I know, like, did a lot of those for Clive Palmer. Like, that was just like Skull. another... If you're listening to this. <laughs> <laughs> I remember in 2013 um, getting a DVD from Clive Palmer in the mail, which in retrospect was huge posters energy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think Clive has it in him. But were you going to say something else, Deckers? Oh, yeah. It, about, like, um, like these, these boomers online and, like, this, like, it's much as we think of online as our space, like, there's this other huge community. But the relationship that had to Brisbane as well, where we saw these massive Black Lives Matter protests. But just before that, not just in America, but in Australia as well, like, we had these, like, weird, like, 5G QAnon things come mm. out and... Online's role in both of these movements is super interesting. Someone, yeah, I've been seeing these like stickers and things go up around the Gold Coast, um, which is just like, yeah, it's like, you know, the pandemic's fake. It's a scam demic. Bill Gates wants to do 5G to you. It's like half right, kind of. Like, yeah, Bill Gates yeah. is definitely a very know, bad always My take is like, yes, I agree that Bill Gates should be arrested, but that's not, not for what like, you think, though. Not, that's not why. Yeah. That's not the reason. Yeah. Um, it's funny because, like, I guess it's just a familiarity with the medium. I'm not actually sure why, but boomers, um, like, take it take all of online way more seriously. Yeah. Um, in every sense, like in in terms of being earnest, but also in believing everything they see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is so funny to me because, like, this is a generation that's grown up with like newspapers and stuff. And surely they can tell the difference between that and what you see online. But maybe they actually no, can't. Even like the kind of smartest boomer will like, they think that like any any just random blog post they get from a Google search is authoritative. Yeah. And they just assume that if it's written down, then it has some kind of authority. It's actually, it this is a good opportunity to share my personal favorite interaction with a boomer online and possibly ever <laughs> where um i was uh on i was on twitter i was arguing with this person about um the alp no surprise <laughs> the only thing that i get mad <laughs> this about this is online. some very serious post <laughs> <laughs> i mean yeah i i try not to get mad about anything online but i do get mad about the alp online our listeners will not be surprised but um uh and at the time, I had in my bio um, a joke. I can't even remember where it came from. I think it came from Chapo. Um, and my Twitter bio was um, Gemini dishonorably discharged. Gemini dishonorably discharged from the military. <laughs> and um, I liked that. I remember that. Yeah. Um, and then this person who had been arguing with for like two hours, message um, no, responded in the thread and was like. Uh, Joanna, I apologise. I was unaware of your military history. <laughs> 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 Thank you for your service. And then I was just like, I 
can't reply to this. This this is over. Like, what can I possibly say? And they were being 100% serious as far that's as I can a, tell. That's amazing. It's, yeah, like, there's, like, total incomprehension of, like, and it's something that you, like, just take so, it seems so kind of obvious that you just take for granted that's, like, oh, yeah, this is not real. Like, it's really hard to know how to engage with that because it does seem like, and like it, it does seem like that's what's driving a lot of the boomer right is just reading something on a blog post and being like, this is, yeah, this is true. Mm. Like I read it, it's it's just true. Like, And then going and like eagerly telling all your friends about it mm. or something like that. Well, and because they're all fucking retired. So they're all just like <laughs> sitting around it. on yeah, Facebook yeah, yeah. all day, like being like, I reconnected with Jenny from primary school. Like, it's... Well, look, let's not throw stones. As we said, we're all no, unemployed. No, but this is like <laughs> the flip side of like the but, like, unemployed. Being retired and being unemployed is a fucking different thing. Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. But it's like as, the... uh, you know, like as we're kind of alluding to, like both groups post a lot. Yeah. <laughs> but that's like, it's like the evil, like, double of like the perpetually like unemployed compulsively online millennial is the extremely retired boomer um the two genders yeah well, and there's also like the the, the other and millennial like, <laughs> and the, the chad, chad boomer, boomer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah i thought about doing it the other way around no, no. yeah no <laughs> um, there's also the the other like online group which is like the professional gen x's who are like oh. who are yeah. the absolute worst they and i think we've already discussed LinkedIn. i think we've already discussed them quite a lot when yeah. we're talking about like this earnest like argument making liberal yeah no 100% yeah i'm thinking about a lot like a former colleague when I was still working in my um uh public service office job a colleague started following me on Twitter I was just like no block Absolutely <laughs> cannot not. cannot do it it was funny though because they were um not only like a technocrat um liberal who was like in love with Justin Trudeau but also um a member of the Labour Party <laughs> and the first tweet of mine that she would have seen when she followed me was something um I think it was like making fun of an ALP candidate who had a background in entrepreneurship. And I think I said something like, um, the only brain disease more powerful than entrepreneur brain disease is Labour Party brain disease. <laughs> um, she's just I like, will say that, yeah, like Labour Party brokens on Twitter are some of my favourite people. I mean, really like, enjoyable. they, like I said before, they're the only people that really um, make me mad <laughs> online. So I guess, you know, they're doing something right. <laughs> Come drop Twitter. Yeah. Um, well, do we have any concluding thoughts? Do we want to leave it at Come Drop Twitter? Yeah, we should absolutely leave Come Drop Twitter the fuck alone. Like, both, like, here as podcasters and, like, more sp- importantly, spiritually as well. Like, there should be no engagement with this as a concept. <laughs> um, but, yeah, no, I mean, like, I think to sum up, um, it is trying to just, like, trying to come to terms with, like, even just, like, where I am, like, personally and where i think we kind of are like yeah um this kind of general phenomenon of um yeah like being a very over uh over educated unemployed generation that gives rise to this new kind of posting culture i think um and i do think yeah, there's this weird relationship between these, like, kind of posting narratives that arise and go away. Um, it's, I don't know, I mean, like, I, I guess what I'm kind of arriving at here is that the final point is, like, to me is the reason we can't, like, stop talking about this. Um, and the answer is I do find it kind of fascinating from, like, a purely literary point of view. 
um just gonna say like um you know i'm a uh i want to say unpublished author which is great um <laughs> as is uh joe like aspiring aspiring yeah like aspiring unpublished author, aspiring unpublished author. <laughs> i that's still a have lot some hope left are. like there's yeah. a lot of um a lot of aspiring writers out there um and like who are all on twitter i do think that like the reason i kind of am so addicted to twitter and while even though i like understand that it's you know in, insane and but like it is this constant kind of rush of very different, precise, almost like character portraits. Mm. Um, just to make a jump here, I've been reading a lot of John Le Carre, basically, lately. I'm the spy fiction author. And his kind of specialty is doing these kind of uh, like very specific character portraits in a political context and having someone with a very weird kind of specific... Because he writes about the Cold War um, and he writes about... Um, people kind of in the like world of like British politics spying on Russians and then kind of coming at it through like the left. Um, and he'll write these kind of, yeah, like character studies of like burnt out leftists, burnt out leftists or like furious Tories or like all of these people um, with very close attention to, um, yeah, like the relationship between like what their politics are and then like where they stand in like, the power relationships that run the world and then like what they are like as people and how that all fits together. Um, and yeah, like his own like politics suck. Cause he was like a, a, a spy. Um, he was one of those people who signed the um, traitorous open letter against our boy. Yeah. Jeremy. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Unsurprising. Um, yeah. Um, but he is a, you know, a brilliant and very talented writer. Um, and that's kind of my addiction to Twitter stems from just this, it becomes this character study. Like, and there's all these political events that I find myself glued to, like the uh, American Democratic primary was a really good example of this, where you'd look at it and you'd be like, this is obviously a farce and this is spectacle and it's all for show. Like none of these people believe anything they're saying. But in terms of like what, like as characters, in terms of like what is happening in their brains, that's the thing I've like, that's the thing that keeps me like glued to the screen and keeps me posting. Hmm, that's interesting. Never um, actually thought about it that way. Yeah. Wait, does that resonate with you, Deckers? Oh, well, I was thinking of like someone describing Wint as, and Drill, like if you don't know Drill, you're don't, not Why online. you listen yeah, to you should, I'm like, amazed yeah. you, I'm If amazed you don't know you've Drill, then far. there's no way you made it this far. No. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but like I remember someone describing him as like someone who's like distilled the voice of the internet. Mm. And I think that's absolutely true. And, and I guess that's what I, what I was like being yeah. able to take from what Matt was well, saying. Well, that's why yeah. Drill is, like, such a good candidate for the Nobel Prize, right? Is because he's an all, he's a perfect character study of this, like, yeah. Like, that is really the humour in Drill. Is he, like, representing a person? And I think that's kind of the best of, like, the weird Twitter is when you're, like, you are kind of creating this, like, image of this specific type of person. And that's a lot of what kind of the Charpo style of humour is as well. Yeah, I think what keeps me kind of addicted to posting and continuing to come back and back is, like, in relationship to, like, the, the British... No, not the British, the American primary and stuff like that, was the way that... And I didn't even participate in this. I, I don't really listen to Charpo. But the way that Charpo, in, like, describing that and being cool online in some ways kind of formed a new discourse and a new community, which is clearly 
like starting to have an an impact in American politics more broadly in the way that communities catalyze and and radicalize themselves online is I think what what I find fascinating about it. Yeah, I mean, they were able to um, actually get people to step away from their screens and go canvassing for Bernie, which is a huge achievement. Like, definitely, like, not... I'm not one of those people who, yeah, thinks podcasts are politically useless. Like, they can have impact like that. Um, And I think an interesting thing... I mean, we should probably wrap up soon. We've been going for a while. But an interesting thing about what you said, um, Decker's about them being cool online is that, like, that's another thing that I think online can do. It's kind of what you were talking about before, too, like, with just humiliating idiots. But creating, like, a culture of, um, in the electoral sense, at least, being winners is incredibly important to any electoral campaign. And I think um, you can do that online quite easily. Like, it's a medium that lends its space to the creation of that um that common feeling among people who are like part of the winning team mm. until you know until until, until um North it, Carolina happens yeah. to you oh, South Carolina South, Carolina <laughs> yeah no yeah and, uh, yeah like there is that you know then it kind of gets flipped around on you and then you get owned which you never you want d- to do yeah well um, then you but, just yeah. Become virtual Texas and log off forever. <laughs> yeah, basically. I'm going to analyze the Bernie campaign through the lens of online and say that they chose the wrong online. One of their one of their like representatives of the campaign was D-Ray, who kind of came to prominence around the Ferguson protests, but is very much part of that clout getting kind of like performance of Black Lives Matter. Uh-huh. Who's who's now in this moment talking about like these like these absolutely piss weak liberal reforms, which are, which are such. Go, go nowhere and he, what he's promising is something like this will result in like a 72% reduction in police uh, violence. Oh, right, that thing, yeah. And I think like the Bernie campaign choosing the wrong side of online by going with the D-Ray online as opposed to like some of the, the like some of the other black posters who were who were absolutely fantastic. Mm. Um, no, yeah. should, should have gone with Amy Therese. <laughs> He'd be president right now. <laughs> And, and see, Amy Therese is such a good representation of this insanely broken online Marxist mm. who, with like absolutely no relevance in the world, and she pati- <laughs> like because she she's like in Australia, right? But she participates she in, in Sydney. Yeah, she's in, in Sydney. Sydney. I didn't know that. So, so, like, so she she participates in American like right, podcast no, that, like- Twitter discourse. And, like she doesn't even exist in the world at all. <laughs> that adds a whole new layer to um, how incredibly broken she that's is. That's one of the yeah, like that, see, that's a good example of this, just like. Like, Amy Therese has been, a, like, a main character of Twitter, I think, um, in kind of, like, recent uh, moments just because of the insane brokenness of this, like, yeah, person who person from Sydney who has just decided that they're American and, mm. like... Does she, own- does she, like, set her sleep schedule so that she can be on awake and online during American online hours? Who fucking knows? But it really it's seems like it. This person who doesn't matter at all. No. But, like, because and yet we're such all, a compelling character, you We all up- know all about her. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, mildly yeah. obsessed with her. Because- oh, shout out to Shanley, by the way. One of the best characters of all time <laughs> online. Who's Shanley? Oh, uh, just, just a poster. Look up Shanley yeah, at I some stage. I don't think I'm as online as you. <laughs> no, no, like, no, no. At some point we could start. <laughs> I don't, you know, I don't want to kind of go too deep into this because then it's just like you know talking about posters that we like but i i, I do think it's this <laughs> it was always going to get to that, that is point the classic eventually. tweet about how yeah like every day there's a main character on twitter and the goal is to never be it yeah and i really yeah i do think it's why it's so addictive is there's this it's this constant like a new character study and you kind mm. of just deeply cooked but like fascinating new personality that gets trotted out and it's like everyone's just like 
fixated on them and like just scrutinizing this person like what's your brain what are you doing why are you like that who can land the best own on you to me i almost take the not quite the opposite but maybe a different um fascination with those things because i just enjoy watching like the entirely predictable way in which the kind of social mechanisms of online just like the gears start grinding towards a very predictable endpoint, which is like um yeah a main character emerges people like start owning that person then there's like a a take that's like actually this main character is good or have you thought about this take (laughs) (laughs) and then it becomes like and then you know like there's like and then that spawns like a a a variety of think pieces and then like 24 hours later everyone's forgotten them (laughs) yeah (laughs) like it's amazing um and it yeah like the the human psychology on display there is incredible but also says something about like group dynamics (laughs) i mean we could go on right (laughs) yeah yeah um, I think we're done. Yeah, yeah I, I might be like done. We're pretty done. <laughs> okay. Uh, I mean, I'm going to continue to talk about this, but like not on this podcast. <laughs> um. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think well my my closing thoughts. Um, I kind of said this before, but it's very dangerous to confuse online with real life. Uh, you can always just like clo- log out, log off, like close down the app, walk away. Um, and I think actually Eleanor Robertson. Um, who I really admire, um, I like a lot of her takes, said something uh, or tweeted something the other day being like, people don't understand that the only thing, the only person who can cancel you is you. Like if you just, if you admit to being wrong, like then you're cancelled. But if you just like kind of refuse to engage with it, then like nothing bad can happen to you. So (laughs) I don't know whether that's advice, but it's certainly like, I mean, I think we, we all, on a personal level get really like sucked into like the kind of personal shaming and um uh the the affect of these spaces but at the end of the day like you are your own person you don't have to engage with it um and if you're like engaging with it because you see it as a substitute for political action that's very bad don't do that um i think most of our listeners probably already know that though cool so here's the final encouragement to reach out to some of your online friends mm. and maybe think of some sort of campaign that you could run, electoral or non-electoral, but, like, please do something that involves talking to strangers. Yeah, and not, like, in the context of arguing with them on Twitter. But, like, really talking to strangers really with, you, like, with, to your, with your body. Yeah, mm. and mouth. Um, yes. <laughs> uh, sorry about the words. I fully endorse this, um, yeah, because if you're not doing that, you you might be having fun with your friends online, but you're not actually doing politics. Yeah. It's not, if it's on, like, if it takes place fully online, it's not politics. Just be honest about it. It's fine. Like, yeah. you don't, you also, it's fine. like, honestly, like, posting like, is posting. But I guess it's my not- one thing, I don't want to guilt people for being too online in the same way that I don't want to guilt people for watching MasterChef or whatever. Like, <laughs> yeah. No, like, your time is your own. You should feel free to engage in, like, frivolous and, like, like, unproductive activities, right? Like, you don't have to be productive but also you're not being productive just be honest like, about it. Yeah. like yeah it's it's fine as long as you know I what it is yeah like you know it's like, like yeah but like do you know what it is and understand that it's not in fact politics yeah cool all yeah. right well we'll leave it there thanks for listening guys <laughs> we'll, um see you soon yeah. bye bye, bye. <laughs>